When you come to West Texas, folks, saddle up. You're going to go on a wild ride. You're listening to the official podcast of the nation, the premier voice for the fearless fans of Raiderland. In a way, Yo, what's up, Red Raider Nation? Welcome back to the nation's official podcast. We are your hosts. I am TJ Kern. That is Blake Hartsfield. And we've got another... Uh, Actually, he's probably the best looking guy on the set. You know, you know, I mean, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Austin Massey is our special guest today. Uh, what's the name of y'all's uh, podcast again? It is the Hub City Hoops Talk podcast. That's right. Hub yes. City Hoops Talk with him and uh, his co host, Jacob. Uh, be sure to give them a, a listen and a follow. And uh, we are excited to have Austin on the program today, give kind of a different insight into Red Raider basketball. Blake, been a while since we've actually done a pod, but the Red Raiders are starting Big 12 playoff and kind of a mixed bag, but they pulled that one out on Saturday. And to borrow a phrase from you, my friend, you are what your record says you are. You're 3-0 and and in first place. TJ, I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, pleasantly surprised for them to start off 3-0. and um, You couldn't ask for a better start to the Grant McCasland era. I know we're going to get a lot into him here with Austin, but um, the game against K-State was was different than the first two. They had to grind this one out, um, got out to a good start, but uh, gave up a big run in the first half and had to come back down the stretch. But they do find a way to get the win 60-59. to And look, 3-0 and is 3-0. and and, and in this conference, every win matters. Uh, it, there is no easy games, as, as Kansas learned when they went down to UCF. I thought they were going to be the worst team in the league. But um, yeah, 3-0, and 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 they got four tough ones coming up. Not only that, the Red Raiders are ranked, Blake. Finally cracked that top 25 threshold. And the Big 12, Austin, has eight ranked teams. Yeah, I mean it's a gauntlet. <laughs> you don't. I will advise as a Texas Tech fan, don't go look at the next four games. It's it's a little scary for Texas Tech. They they have three road games um, against top twenty five teams coming up over the next four. Um, they do get BYU at home, which uh, I'm thankful for. That's actually going to be a really uh, underrated, fun game. Um, BYU is a very you know they have a a very even distributed kind of roster, much like Texas Tech. Um, they don't rely on, you know, one or two guys primarily. But, um, yeah, we got a gauntlet coming up. It starts tomorrow against Houston, um, who is maybe one of, one of the top five, top ten teams in college basketball. They've gotten a little bit of a, a rude awakening, kind of a, a rude welcoming, I should say, to the Big 12. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be a gauntlet, guys. Welcome to the Big 12, Houston. Welcome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot going on. I know I went to Lubbock, went to the Oklahoma State game, got to see them up close and personal. They got off to a slow start in that game, and as they did in the Texas game, but they just ran away with that one, man. That was that was an impressive showing, um, running away with coming back, first of all, and then just putting your foot on the gas and uh, putting your foot on the throat, as they say. Um, I was there in person. I enjoyed it. Um, one thing I, I did want to touch on just being there in person and I'll get y'all's thoughts on it was the, uh, the crowd. I think, uh, I think coach McCaslin has a little work to do there and winning cures all. So, but I'm looking around and I'm going like this. I'm like, where's everybody at? Yeah. TJ, I'm not worried about the crowd or the home court. Um, I think going back to the beginning of the Chris Beard era, uh, Texas tech has established, Lubbock is a very tough place to play in college basketball. Um, I would argue that, you know, behind Kansas and maybe Iowa State, it is as tough of a place to go play in this conference currently. 
Um, and with them being three and oh, I fully expect um, that crowd now that the students are back on campus um, to, to, you know, be what we've come to come to expect here uh, these last few four or five years and uh, not something that I'm concerned with. Well, let's get right into it, man. Uh, I mean, Pop deserves his credit. I mean, the, the guy battled through an injury in this last game, but before that he was averaging 24 a game. He was really hitting his stride here. His conference play has uh, come on. The turnovers are way down from last year, Austin. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Pop's play so far? Yeah, um, he's playing at a really high level, guys. He's he's matured a lot over the last you know season, I would say. And I think ball security was like the main point of emphasis. Obviously, Grant McCaslin um, – with his guards, that's a big point of emphasis with his whole team, really. Um, but the the thing that's most impressive to me is his kind of his uh, he's really kind of, uh, you know, he's developed a better overall offensive game. Right. I mean, he he always is going to be known to be a kind of a three point shooter. His numbers still aren't that great this season. They're not where I think that he wants them to be or where McCaslin wants them to be. He does take a ton of shots. I think when I looked last, he was like second in the entire conference and field goals attempted. Um, so he takes a lot of shots. Um, so his numbers are maybe a little bit skewed because of his usage. Um, but just watching him kind of develop as a ball handler, um, watching him kind of keep his vision open on the floor when he's attacking the rim, I think is something that he's grown up a lot. I actually used to watch Pop in high school. I got to cover him a couple times um, when he was a high school kid, and he was uh, he was pretty pretty scrappy, and uh, you know he was really more focused on taking jump shots and. He, he would find a lob every now and then to his power forward, kind of rolling into the basket or something. But um, I, I've been really impressed. I think he gets blocked a little bit more than I would like around the rim. So you maybe want to see him kind of get a little bit more crafty, try and, um, you know, use his, his quickness or his burst to create space around the basket. Um, but, you know, overall, his ability to um, be more diverse offensively has been a big, uh, you know, advantage. And it's been uh, very key to the Texas Tech success this year so far. Yeah, Austin, I, I think you touched a lot on there with the with the ball security. And, and one of the things that seems different to me uh, from an outsider from from this year's team to last year's team is just the general flow of the offense. And part of that is is Pop Isaac's maturity and, and ball security. But then Joe Tuasant's uh, calming presence. And, and look, I liked Davion Harmon, but a lot of times it looked like he was out of control. It seemed like he was trying to attack the rim. Um, and just a gunner, so to speak. And, and Tuasant seems like he's able to get them into the right set and um, just a philosophy change. It, it, it's been a breath of fresh air. And, and to me, the biggest difference in the Grant McCaslin era so far and, and the Beard and Adams era that, that preceded it is the defense is still good. I don't think it's quite as elite maybe as, as it's been with you know Adams over there being the defensive coordinator and just the uh, meticulous detail that he took with with the defensive effort. Um, but the offense just looks completely different as opposed to this motion offense where we had so many frustrating periods. We'd have five and six minutes. We'd stand around and wait for somebody to make something happen. And we'd go on these scoreless droughts. It seems like this year McCaslin's calling sets and different riffs of those same sets and running plays every time down the court. And it just seems so much more in flow. Um, and again, and again, I know the guards are, are a big part of that, but it just seems like there's a better system and um, plan in place on, on that side of the floor. And Blake, you can tell we've been doing these things a long time because I was going to tee you up for some JoJo Tucson talk and you just went ahead and <laughs> took it, man. But, uh, dude, this backcourt is playing well. Um, Joe Tucson is exactly – I'm going to give you a name, Blake, from the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. 
and, and he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Stevenson in a tough, you know, defensive minded, going to get in your face, can pick you up three quarters court, full court, whatever he needs to do on defense. He's going to be a pest, right? That West Virginia style that, that we talked about, they're going to be physical, right? He comes from West Virginia. Um, I, Joe Tucson, and then, of course, my guy Chance McMillan, um, you know, the, the transfers have done really well. Yeah, absolutely. And and the guy that I don't think gets nearly enough credit for this team is Williams. Um, he He's a guy that he he's not going to ever be your leading scorer, right? He's not going to be a guy that goes out there and scores 25 or 30 and, and has these flashy games. But every time you go look at the box score, um, and, and as I look over this one from K-State, I mean, you know, 10 points, six rebounds, uh, two assists, a steal. I mean, he just is kind of a do-it-all, everything. He can guard four positions. Um, and to me, it's just a winning player. And, and to to be as mature as he is for as young of a, of a player as he is as a, as a true sophomore, it's just been really impressive. And I think uh, McCaslin hit a home run with bringing him in. Yeah, and Austin, there's another guy I want to highlight real quick because – one of the another one of these transfers, and we talk, we kind of talked about him on the post game show the other day. I think we're getting a lot more offense than we ever thought we'd get out of Warren Washington. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, you know, at Arizona State, he was he was a, a high energy guy. He, he's very athletic. He can obviously jump out of the gym. He's long. Um, he's a great rim defender. Um, but you never really saw him at Arizona State kind of being a uh, a guy where you drop it down low and, and maybe let him work off the block a little bit, try to get a basket himself. Um, and, and another kind of, uh, you know, credit to Grant McCaslin, we mentioned this on the last pod, but he's really kind of given uh, Washington the freedom to, uh, you know, just open up his offensive game in general. And that that ranges from scoring to passing um, and, and grabbing offensive rebounds. So that's another thing. He's actually been averaging a couple assists per game the last few games, which is really um, for a seven footer. It's not super common, but um, it speaks to the versatility of this team. You spoke about Darian Williams. He can pass it. There's really not a player on the maybe Kerwin Walton in the starting rotation. He's not really a great passer, um, but all four of your other starters are pretty high level passers. Um, Pop, you know, he, he's getting better. Uh, Tucson is a great passer. He's gotten better, in my opinion, as well. Um, and then your front court um, with Williams and Washington, both of those guys can pass. Both of them have pretty good vision for being, uh, I guess, a, a front court you know, player, but um, really impressed with Warren Washington. Um, the key for him is going to be staying out of foul trouble. He's actually been really good staying out of foul trouble uh, so far in conference play. Um, but keep an eye on it on the road, um, especially against a team like Houston, who has, you know, pretty good front court play. If he gets into foul trouble, I think things could get scary potentially, because then you have to play, you know, Robert Jennings more. Um, same with same with Darian Williams. So if I was an opposing coach, that's probably what I would be doing is attacking those two guys, getting them in foul trouble. Um, but let's hope, you know, they can continue to stay out of it. They've done a great job so far. You know, Austin, you hinted at kind of my the question I was going to ask you. And and one of the things that was very frustrating to TJ and I with last year's team, and I talked extensively about it for anybody that listened to our podcast, was the the seven-man rotation that they had and and that they needed an eighth or a ninth guy to step up with as physical as the Big 12 is and as tough as this league is on a night-in, night-out basis. Um, you know, with losing Devin Cambridge, are are you concerned as we get into the to the meat of this conference schedule with the depth? Uh, do they have enough guys if somebody goes down with an injury or if a guy like Warren Washington, who's kind of operating as your only big currently, if he gets in foul trouble, is there enough here to to weather that storm? 
Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest weak point of this team. Um, I think we saw it a couple of times actually in the Bahamas where um, I believe Darian Williams got into foul trouble early. Um, there were a couple of games where uh, he didn't really get to see the court as much as Grant McCaslin would like. And again, I think that th that is a big weak point for Tech. I'd be scared, especially against a top 25-ish team, um, but watching Texas Tech play with the core uh, you know, rotation of Robert Jennings in it. I, I love Robert Jennings. Um, he is a great kid. He can rebound. He's actually really been improving, and he's been gaining kind of more of a bench role for Grant McCaslin, which I think McCaslin's obviously strategically doing this. He doesn't want to depend all on one guy um, in the front court, um, but it's definitely a concern of mine. The front court is extremely thin. Um, after Robert Jennings, there's essentially no other rotational player in the front court. I don't expect Kyron Lindsay to be a part of the rotation at all this season. Um, so yeah, what, what's going on there? Is he just like in the doghouse or he's yeah. just not ready with the transfer coming in from Georgia or, or any insight into what's going on with that situation? Yeah. Um, so I think that they're, uh, Grant McCaslin is a, a big, um, he's a big trust person. He's a big kind of, you got to earn your right to play in practice guy. I think that, um, you know, Kyron comes from a high profile background. He was a four-star recruit. Um, he started at Georgia's freshman year. And I'm not saying in, in any regard that Kyron didn't come in and, and, and earn it or anything like that. I just think that, you know, talking to players, even, you know, I'll give you an example, Robert Jennings, um, McCaslin had him in, you know, this guy was practicing, you know, after hours on his own terms and, and getting ready, shooting free throws every, you know, after hours, um, working on his rebounding, working on different things. These are things that Grant McCaslin expects if you want to have a, a piece of the rotation, even as a guy who's getting like 10 minutes a game. Um, so I just think that the comfortability level is not there quite yet with with Kyron Lindsay. I also it is a little bit curious that they burned his red shirt um, with you know they entered him in that one game. I, I don't I don't necessarily understand that, but um, I think he is a guy that Grant McCaslin likes. I think that you'll see him crack the rotation next year. Um, if there's an injury, he'll crack it this year. Um, so we'll see what happens. But no, nothing you know, no crazy dramatic story there. I just think that. McCaslin has insanely high expectations. McCaslin actually was already pretty familiar with Robert Jennings too, before he took over. Um, Robert Jennings, I believe it's his cousin or his brother was actually on as a graduate assistant at UNT. UNT actually recruited Robert Jennings at a high school. Um, so there was some connections there um, already. He was actually a big focal point for McCaslin when he took over. I think Robert Jennings is one of the first guys he actually truly recruited to stay um, so yeah, you know, we'll see what happens, but to answer your question, um, the front court is extremely thin and injury could be detrimental to the team. Um, but foul trouble as well on a game to game basis. Yeah. And, uh, that's a good point, Austin. And Blake and I have been talking about the depth on this team and it looks like McCaslin kind of right now is settled in with his eight, eight guys with Lamar Washington, Robert Jennings and, and McMillan coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very defined rotation, um, and and you know we've we've mentioned the same a couple times, and and I know we talked about it a little bit on our last pod, TJ. But the restoration project with Kerbin Walton, where he's empowered him and and got, given him some confidence again, and um, look, I I didn't understand last year how he was so ineffective uh, under Adams. I mean, this is a kid. First off, you don't get a scholarship to North Carolina if you can't play, right? Like coming out of high school, he got a, a, a Roy Williams offered him. I know there was a coaching change. Uh, when when Roy Williams retired, but you don't end up at North Carolina and not be able to play. And not only did he get a scholarship to North Carolina, but he averaged like 18 minutes a game and and was a, a contributing factor on that team. And then he comes to Tech and just completely disappeared. And the only thing I can attest it to was 
Um, you know, Adams had 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 him so afraid to shoot and, and miss a shot and then would put him on the bench and he just lost all of his confidence. But, um, you know, McCaslin's uh, restoration project there and, and having him be able to step in and uh, kind of eat some of those minutes when Devin Cambridge went down with an injury has been a, a breath of fresh air. And um, kind of on that note, I, I want to just kind of get Austin's while we've got him here, his, his overall thoughts kind of on two things, Austin first, um, just your, first, your initial impressions of Grant McCaslin. We've, we've mentioned his name a ton on this podcast, but I know we focused a lot on individual players. Um, when all of the Adams stuff, coach Adams stuff last year was going down. Um, you know, we came on this pod and, and I came out and said, look, if you can't get, I said, take a shot at Rick Pitino, right. And if you can't get Rick Pitino, go hire Grant McCaslin. He should be the floor for this program and the guy that you shouldn't do any worse than him. And I thought he'd be an outstanding hire. Um, and then secondly, with, with this three and O start under, under McCaslin, how far can this team go? Can the, can they finish with 10 big, t- big 12 wins, 11 big 12 wins, just kind of get your, your thoughts on, on the state of the program. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my overall, uh, interpretation of Grant McCaslin in, in general, I have a lot of respect for him. I think that, um, he is a pretty, you know, he, he's into the X's and O's. He's not like a pure motivator or a pure. Sometimes you'll have a coach who's like relies on other people for X's and O's like Chris Beard. He was never really necessarily a big X's and O's yeah, guy. He was he a relied, culture guy. Yeah, he relied a lot on Mark Adams, but he was one of the best recruiters. He is one of the best recruiters in the entire country. And um, he is an incredible at team building. I mean, he's already doing it at Old Miss. Um, but in terms of Grant McCaslin, um, he actually, funny enough, he talks about it a lot, but he actually like modeled a lot of his coaching on the court after Chris Beard and Mark Adams. Um, but he he is, um, so I, I, I have relationships with a lot of the players' families and, and get to talk with them, you know, uh, try to understand what practices are like and things like that. And uh, what everyone tells me is he, all he cares about is one thing and it's literally winning. He doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't, you know, as brutal as it sounds to say, um, he is a, uh, you know, a freak about winning. Like he, that's all he cares about. Um, so in terms of practice, I mean, you're the, the way you practice, if you're not practicing like a winner, if you're not, um, you know, showing up in the games, if you don't have the right attitude, you'll never crack the rotation. It's a lot, a lot of the similar concepts as Chris Beard. I think the one thing that I was a little bit worried about with McCaslin was the ability to maybe resonate with players and things like that. I think he's one of those coaches that the players um, kind of love and hate, right? Like they, 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 they respect the heck out of him. They, they want to play for him because he, he brings out the best in them. He also gives his players a lot of freedom. And I think that's what you're seeing with Kerwin Walton. That's what you're seeing with Pop Isaacs. Joe, I mean, you're literally looking at, you know, several guards who are having their best year ever in college basketball, Pop Isaacs, Joe Toussaint, um, you know, a lot of that could be usage related, but um, you know, he is setting them up for success and he's giving them the freedom to do so. Like, my biggest complaint with Mark Adams is always the leash that he would put on people and how fast he would pull them out of the rotation. That's what happened with Kerwin Walton. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, I'm very happy with the hire. I think you go back and look at his background. You look what he did at UNT taking over a program at UNT who was historically terrible. I mean, terrible. They had no success essentially at all. Um, and he took them to essentially he, he won games with them every single season. I, 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 I want to say, uh, I can't remember what his, his combined record was there. He's but, winning you know, basically 20 games a year at, at North Texas yeah. with no yes. resources. No resources. He was just, you know, that was a lot of the, the one, the one critique I heard of, uh, you know, some people in the media had of him was, well, he's going to come into tech and he's going to try and win with his coaching and not with talent necessarily. Um, 
And a lot of people were thinking, well, he's going to have a rude awakening to the Big 12. Um, and that hasn't been the case so far. I think that you can win games with coaching and you can, you know, there there is such thing as squandering talent. Um, you see it all the time in coaching. So uh, my overall opinion is he is a tremendous hire. Um, I think that the recruiting thing is going to be something interesting to follow. They haven't signed a high school recruit yet, and they haven't been super active in the high school recruiting realm, um, but they obviously crushed it in the transfer portal. I mean, you could argue they have the best portal hall of everyone, of anyone, essentially. Um, every, you know, everyone that they they picked up this offseason is uh, essentially a core rotational player now, um, and they're putting up good numbers. Um, and then in terms of the, you know, the the outlook for the Big 12 play, I think that um, you know, you look at this next four game stretch and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a pretty pivotal stretch. I think you want to try and go two and two, which is asking a lot. Um, I don't know necessarily where you squeeze out your your second win there. Maybe you get the win against TCU on the road. That's a game that I think could be pretty close. I'm very high on TCU, though, so they may be the best team out of the four teams that Tech plays yeah. over the next four games. I'm not kidding. Um, they could be better. I mean, they just beat Houston. So um, we'll see what happens. Um, I believe they have uh, BYU at home, and then they have Houston on the road, Oklahoma on the road, and then TCU on the road. Um, all three of those teams are very good. I think Texas Tech can beat Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, season outlook for the Big 12 looks great. Um, starting 3-0 and was, was very pivotal, in my opinion. Um, it gives you some room for error. Um, but the two things I'm going to keep an eye on um, are obviously your health in the front court. And then also, um, you know, the, the, the shooting uh, was a little bit concerning against Kansas State. I, 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 you know, sometimes you can get into these ruts when you're shooting. Um, so I'm hoping Texas Tech doesn't keep, you know, like I put, I said with TJ on the last podcast, I don't think you want to be shooting 25 threes a game with this team, not because they lack shooters, but just because it's not necessarily a great recipe for success. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I really want to focus on going forward is the physicality. Blake and I are not blame the refs guys at all. Um, it Obviously, there's a call here. There's a call there. And by the way, on Saturday, how, I, how many minutes does Pop Isaacs need to be set before he can draw a charge these days? I mean, he was sit there. He was sit there for five minutes, and they they called a block. I I just I don't think I've seen a charge call all, all that he that rule change. That rule change is terrible. I mean, it it was already the hardest call in college basketball, and the, the way that they changed the language to what is a charge now is just it, it's an awful rule change. Period. End of conversation. I agree. Yeah, it's, but then one of the things that I talked with Austin about Blake was, um, you know, not only the physicality, just the the first few games here in the big 12 houston's got a couple of losses right like welcome to the big 12 uh kansas loses to central florida baylor they're three and oh but they they haven't exactly been blowing people out either they that oklahoma state team that we boat raced they took them to overtime in waco so in that high school gym that they have down there in waco but uh no seriously like i'm i'm excited but i so there's an opportunity there right guys where we thought maybe seven eight nine ish in the big uh, big 12 depending on how many wins can we sneak in as a double digit seed now i'm feeling a little bit more optimistic you got three big 12 wins on the board this next four games is going to tell us a lot the, the next four games is critical like austin said if you could find a way to go two and two that would be in my opinion an outstanding result from these next four um, I don't I don't even think one and three is is the worst thing in the world to to get you to four and three in conference and then 
Um, you, you look at the schedule and, and we talked a little bit about the, about it be at the beginning of the year, TJ, where they only get Kansas once and it's in Lubbock. And, and I think that's huge. So you don't have to put that L on the schedule going up to Lawrence. Right. And, um, you know, getting, uh, a team like UCF twice. And, and I know Kansas lost down there, um, in their first big 12 home game, but you got to feel like you can get two wins there. So if they can find a way to get 10 or 11 big 12 wins, finish in the top six, five or six in this conference, you're probably looking at at least a seven seed, which which gives you a chance to advance uh, through the first weekend. Yep, absolutely. And I'm looking right now at Bart Torvik and he does, he's he's my be- my favorite site for projections. I think, you know, Ken Palm's obviously great, um, but I, I prefer Bart Torvik right now. But um, Texas Tech's projected right now to go 11 and seven in conference. They're actually projected to win their last sub- six games, actually. So, they have a pretty soft schedule to finish the season, which is actually, you know, that's amazing. It's going to get pretty rough here over the next, I'd say, like six to eight games. Yep. Um, but they actually finished the season with, uh, let's see here, finished the season with TCU at home, um, UCF, Texas, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Um, so those are all very winnable games, in my opinion. The TCU game at home is going to be really interesting. Um, I think last year uh, it was a pretty <laughs> an interesting game, to say the least, but um, you know, the good, good news for tech is, uh, you know, the last six games of the year are relatively soft. Um, bad news is you're about to go through, you know, one of the worst gauntlets in all of college basketball over the next few games. I mean, I don't know that you can come up with a, a tougher four game stretch than, than what they're about to have to go through where, you know, their one home game is against a very good ranked BYU team. Um, and, and then three games on the road against Houston, who's in the top 10, Oklahoma, who's in the top 10. Um, and, and TCU, who you mentioned is potentially being the best uh, of those four teams. And I'm very familiar with TCU. Uh, TJ knows this, but I'm I'm married to a, a Horn Frog. So um, I've, I've become a, a more so than I wanted to an expert on TCU sports just from being married with her. And, and that basketball program has has made a lot of progress in the last two years. Um, I mean, they were look, obviously it's, it's Jamie Dixon, right? Yeah. Like. I mean, it was only a matter of time before Jamie Dixon was going to get that thing rolling, and not they they should have beat Arizona. Uh, oh, that last, that last March. Yes, that that, that I think that was two years. Was it last year or two oh, years two ago? Two years ago, they, I, I can't remember. They they played a turn. I just remember I, my my wife was working. She's she is a nurse practitioner um, at the hospital, and um, she came home and she's like, "The TCU," and I was like, "Well, you should have won." Uh, but I remember it just being a ridiculous. And look. Outside of the University of Texas, um, when we get into March Madness, I, I root for Big 12 teams just across the board. I want the conference to, to show well outside of Texas. I, I always root for Texas to lose. Just And, and everybody who watched the spot knows how TJ and I feel about the <laughs> University of Texas. But um, I remember her walking in and I go, y'all should have won that game. And I think that was when Arizona was a one seed. And I think TCU was, a, it was I think it was two years ago because they were an eight or a nine seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played them in the second round and it was just a bogus absolutely bogus call at the end of the game that cost him that one. But yeah, to Austin's point, I, I think that both games against DC are going to be very tough and, and both are opportunities to get a good solid quad one win and uh, continue to build out this resume. Yeah. And before we get out of here, I mean, that kind of brings me back to my point about the physicality, right? Like you got to be prepared every single night because and when Austin and I talked about this after the game on Saturday, Blake, but just your thoughts on the team's uh, ability to win different style of games, which come March, that's a huge thing to have experience playing in, you know, playing in the eighties, 
playing in you know, Tech even scored in the 90s one game. And then you go through that seven-minute drought, like we talked about, kind of the Chris Beard, Mark Adams drought that we had on Saturday. And they still found a way to win late. It's the beauty of the Big 12. Um, there's a reason that this conference, when they get into March Madness, every year puts four or five teams in the Sweet 16 because you go through this gauntlet of, of the different styles in this league, but you, you hit the nail on the head with physicality. Every team in this league is physical. Um, if you're soft in the Big 12, you're going to get bullied and pushed around. Um, and not to say that, that Houston isn't a tough physical team. That They've been a, a, a great program for the last four or five years, and they've had a lot of great success in March, and, and they've their calling card has been tough physical defense. But um, it's a little tougher than, than the league that, that they've played in for the last couple of years in the AAC. And um, they've gotten a lesson from from their road win, their road games in, in Fort Worth and in Ames that there are no off nights in this league. Um, and you've got to bring it every night and play different styles, but you got to be physical. And it, it, it truly does prepare you for for the gauntlet that is March. And I'm super excited just. Just because, I mean, you know, we love basketball, but to be able to have Austin come on the pod and use his analytical brain to come help us out, I got I got two analytics guys up here, and I don't I don't even know what to do. I just talk. So, uh, but but to have the numbers to back it up, uh, Austin, man, we appreciate you hopping on with us today. Look forward to doing some more uh, post game stuff with you here very soon. We'll bring you back on the pod, Blake. It's been fun, my friend. We will see you tomorrow night on the post game and in the Twitter spaces. Everybody check that out. Follow us on all the places that you see to follow us at the bottom of the screen. And, Blake, how do we always end it? Wreck them. Wreck them. We'll talk to you guys next time right here on the Nation's official podcast.